There is uh, no limit to the evil that's in the hospitals. The patient is the last person on their list of things they're concerned about. I think everybody in our movement is, please, please God, do not let me land on someone I love in hospital. Uh, these two ladies have um, become most instrumental in the, the boots on the ground fight. They were instrumental in the hospital rescue that we did. And she sent me the medical directives form via email. And she said, yes, this is a critical document. The hospitals would lie to people and pretend like they could refuse to let people out of the hospitals. Matter of fact, I think there were many cases in which the hospitals could have been reported for kidnapping. And we've got absolute experts and people with solutions that has helped patients and families from coast to coast. Take this number down. I'm telling you, you never know when a friend, a neighbor, someone you love, anybody. 1-888-C-19-3637. Write it down, screenshot it, whatever you got to do. I found protocol kills. I called the number. Within moments, I was able to get connected. Laura just so graciously shared so much information with me and worked with me and my family throughout the whole process. We had her off oxygen in 30 hours after getting her on Pugestinide, and um, she's healed. If, if we didn't have Laura, you guys to talk with, we would never have known questions to ask. I mean, she was so great because we would call her and say, this is what they said now. And she's like, not true. And that's why this hotline thing is huge. To be able to speak to somebody on the phone and have a peace of mind and feel encouraged and know, okay. So the fact that we got grandma out, I was like, oh my gosh, like it was like such a fight. But I wouldn't have known anything if it wasn't for Laura. And thank God, you know, we ended up saving my mom's life. Reach out for help and then be confident. Well, actually, thank you to all of you. You are three remarkable human beings doing amazing work. You're doing God's work. And I feel much safer. The hostage hotline. People need to know what's really happening out there and they need to know that there's hope, that there's, there's help out there. Uh, there are folks who understand how the hospitals work now, understanding that patients do have rights. Their work in helping people get out of the hospital. Uh, these two are real and I know it because I've gotten to know them. They don't take any money for doing this. Uh, they are truly in this fight because they care. Welcome back, Freedom Junkies, to Freedom Junkie Radio, the podcast that brings more freedom into our lives. Sometimes we don't realize what freedoms we don't have. You don't know what you don't know. Today, my guest is Laura Bartlett. She has been working tirelessly since the onset of COVID, assisting her brother, Dr. Bartlett, to share the message of budesonide as an early and effective treatment. Once she realized this went much deeper and hospitals were actually denying fundamental patient rights to informed consent, she stepped in as a patient advocate. She created a free nationwide hostage hospital hotline to help patients assert their rights and escape hospitals. She and her team have been featured on Children's Health Defense TV and endorsed by Texas State Senator Bob Hall for their efforts to save lives. So Laura basically runs a hostage hotline that is free. And if you get 
stuck in a hospital or you need advocacy in the hospital. And a lot of people don't know how to advocate for themselves or their loved ones. Laura is out there ready to help. And so we're going to find out everything she has to tell us today about what she's doing and how you can access this help. So welcome to the to Freedom Junkie Radio, Laura. Thank you for being here. Thank you. Thank you so much for even having me. That's awesome. Thank you. Well, it is it is an honor to have you here. It's interesting because when I first read your bio, I saw that your brother, Dr. Bartlett, uh, who helped people with using this, um, it's a it's a prescription drug that you inhale. And apparently they were using it, I want to say in Thailand or somewhere, there was some place over in the East where they, that's what they were using to treat COVID. And we didn't even know about it over here. And when my husband and I, two almost two years ago, had COVID really bad, a friend of mine said, you've got to contact this Dr. Bartlett. When I went to have you on this show, I had no idea that you were Dr. Bartlett's sister. He's the one who prescribed the everything we needed budesonide uh-huh. and the the uh, nebulizer mm-hmm. it was uh ivermectin and antibiotic and then there was this whole other bunch of things we were supposed to take vitamin c vitamin d and we both recovered beautifully from covid so it was really interesting to know that i already had a connection to you and uh-huh. so start from the beginning and tell us what it is you're doing and how how you can help people and what they can do to to uh, contact you right as uh people you know people started contacting me um i wasn't really trying to get into the advocacy space um but it just kind of was out of necessity people were reaching out to me saying um, you know, I know that uh, I, I'd heard about budesonide. Unfortunately, we didn't get it or didn't find out about it soon enough. And voila, we're now in a hospital and the doctor is not listening, you know, to our um, our wishes to try something or we're trying to get the doctor to stop doing something. We don't want remdesivir, for instance. And it just seems like uh, anything we say is being disregarded and we're afraid we're going to die in here. Okay. So that's the kind of just the backstory of how I got started. And um, really it was a matter of people not realizing they've always had patient rights. They just kind of were passive uh, because of the conditioning that, you know, doctors know, know best, um, you know, you know, I didn't go to medical school, so who am I to question a doctor? And so they just kind of fell into this uh, sense of complacency, I think. And really, it's no fault of their own. It's it's really a cultural thing here in America and maybe around the world. But um, they just didn't know how to make their their consent known. They knew kind of in the back of their mind, you probably shouldn't do something to me in a hospital, like say I need a um, I need my um, appendix taken out, but I woke up and my right arm is missing. I never consented to having my right arm taken off. You know, I said clearly had some pain in my abdomen area, but you decided to take my arm off just because you wanted to take my arm off. You know, that's kind of an extreme, uh, you know, scenario, but it makes the point. Only the doc, the doctor should only do what you consent to as a patient. You're not to, you know, to do anything or even order a medication without the patient's consent. So what does informed consent mean? It means uh, you are clearly informed knowing the risk, the benefits, and the alternatives to whatever 
the suggested medicine or treatment for whatever's indicated for the condition only when you have that information. But these days I'm hearing from patients all over America that that are telling me that they want to do this. And I ask them, did, did you get informed consent? Did you, did the doctor tell you the risk and benefits of whatever it is he's suggesting? No, he never did that. He just said that I, I had X, Y, Z as a problem and he's going to give me um, X, Y, Z as a, as a medication. I don't even really know what that is. I said, is it generic or is it the brand name? I don't know. He never told me. So I take it one step further and I tell the people I'm working with, not only should you get those questions answered, but you should also ask the doctor standing in front of you, what is your success rate, doctor, with that suggestion? Your personal success rate. Because what we're finding during COVID was there wasn't a whole lot of success with the protocol they were suggesting. You know, especially once they got on a, a ventilator, there was like less than 15% chance they would actually walk out alive. So... Um, this this is why I'm so passionate about this. Um, if people just knew how to assert their patient rights, and there's there's actually a strategy that um, has been more successful uh, that we're doing, which tells uh, the patient how to do that. We all kind of know you need to have consent. How do you work through that while you're in a crisis in a hospital so that the doctor feels motivated to actually give you that, that right back. How do you get the doctor to stop doing something when you clearly have stated stop or, you know, I consent to whatever it is that you're suggesting. How do you do that? Especially when there's so many, so it seems like there's an overwhelming urge on the doctor's side to disregard it when the powers to be have told them, this is what we're doing. So how do you do that? The doctor, first of all, first and foremost, is the only person in the hospital, and we're all going to need hospitals maybe at some point. I don't know if I'm ever going to get run over by a truck uh, head on and my, my guts are splattered all over the concrete. I can't put myself back together. I might need a hospital. I might need a team of surgeons, right? They're at hospitals. They're not in my kitchen or you know anywhere else conveniently outside a hospital. So if that's the case, you're going to need to be as safe as possible to get what you need, which is to be put back together again and live through that horrific scenario and go home. That's ideal. So how do you do that? Before you cross the threshold of a hospital, you should have your consent issues in writing. And you can find some, some very um, carefully crafted documents that will tell the hospital and ultimately the doctor, because it'll be put into your electronic medical record, what you consent to, okay? And those are found at ourpatientrights.com. I created a website so that everybody can easily find these documents. You can use them as they are. You can tailor them. They're completely free. Um, the idea is to get your consent in writing and we don't stop there. Then what you're gonna do is you're going to select, there's some, some items there that maybe you wanna opt out of, say a COVID vaccine. Maybe you've been persuaded at this point that maybe you don't want that. I personally don't want that. So I would initial next to COVID vaccines. And I also will initial for me, um, all vaccines. I would just go ahead and do that because hey, if I wanted one, 
I would have gotten it at CVS or Walgreens or in a million other places. Why, pray tell, do I need to have it in the hospital for something like having my appendix taken out or being put back together after a car wreck? Doesn't make sense. So I'm going to opt out of that personally. There's other options there that you could um, select in initial. And then at the very bottom, oh, and by the way, there's also places where you can consent to things. You could ask for budesonide, for instance, because it was not commonly given during COVID for lung inflammation. But if that sounds like a good idea for you, you could write that in, or you could write in vitamin C, high dose vitamin C, or whatever it is you want. And then at the bottom of the document, in front of a notary, you'll, you'll sign that. I would sign that and date it. Then what do we do with that? Do we just hand it to the doctor when we get there? No, because I've heard from people all over the country, doctors are very reluctant and nurses to take anything in documentation form from the patient or the patient's family. Well, we're not gonna, we're not gonna let that stop us, right? There's a solution to that. What you're gonna do is you're going to, per the instructions at ourpatientrights.com, you're gonna do what is suggested from somebody who's a hospital insider, somebody who I am privileged to work with, who gave me this inside scoop of how you move the needle once you're in the hospital and get your rights taken seriously. And that is you're gonna serve them legally in two different ways. One way is to send them by, you're gonna have, it's gonna take a little work, but you're gonna track down a professional courier service. And you're gonna have that professional courier deliver it and have it signed for and, and uh, dated so that they're, from that moment on, the hospital has it. And it's gonna to go to the CEO of the hospital. And it's document. This document, they're gonna have it. And they're gonna be, oh, this is important. A courier delivered it. Then you're also going to send it through the US Postal Service certified mail. Why? Because when a CEO secretary gets this document, certified mail, return receipt requested, it looks like something they might pay attention to. It might be important. We don't know what this is. We better open it really quickly. And once they get that document, they need to, it will be put into the electronic medical record because we have the receipt. We sent it to you, and if you sit on it, there's going to be a problem because you were put on notice. These were our, our consents, right? So it gets put into the electronic medical record. Now they have it. Now every doctor that has anything to do with your care, and we know uh, nowadays hospitals have doctors rotating in. It'll be a, a different doctor tomorrow than it was yesterday, and then two days from now, it'll be a completely different doctor in some cases. Rarely is it one doctor sees you through from entering a hospital to leaving a hospital. So everybody, everybody that's involved, not just the primary care, but also maybe all the specialists involved, they all know. Nobody can say, I didn't know. Nobody told me, right? So at that point, you as a patient should get into your electronic medical record immediately. I've, I cannot tell you how many times I've worked with people in hospitals that say, I, I just feel like I'm going to die in here. Nobody's listening to me. I'm getting worse. Nobody has a care plan. They're not telling me what the plan is. There's no communication. So what do we tell the patient? If you are able to actually get into your medical, uh, electronic medical record, what, what is that? That's just your electronic, your record that's able to be accessed online, okay? In real time, 
not after you get out of the hospital, but as you're going through it in real time, see what they're doing to you, know what medications they're giving you. What if the doctor didn't tell you? And in many cases that I've dealt with, the patient says, I have no idea. Okay. That was I, I, I did not even know this was a thing. I didn't know you could log into your current medical. Um, unfortunately, a lot of people don't know. That's why I'm, I'm just, I'm so grateful you, you are having me on your show. There's so much people don't know. That how, yes. how do you access your, your medical record in real time? Okay. You're going to need to ask the hospital. This is every hospital is a little different. There's um, different softwares they use and from, it depends on where your, your care is being dispensed, right? Whatever hospital you're in in whatever state, this is what you need to ask. Ask a nurse, ask the, the, um, the main switchboard, just start there. Ask the nurse, how do I access my electronic medical record, the EMR? And if they look at you like, I don't know, you need to ask somebody else and just, you just gotta be the squeaky wheel. Okay. And get it, cause I bet you, they don't have a whole lot of patients asking them that, but you can, you'll be given a password, a username and password to access through their portal, how to see in real time, what did the doctor say? The indication was for the, you know, the notes. Sometimes you can see progress notes. You can see what the medication was, what the dosage was what the route, meaning was it administered IV? Was it a pill? You know, was it a nebulized steroid? How, how did they give me whatever it was uh, or what are they doing to my loved one? If you're the surrogate, meaning you're the next of kin and the person in the hospital can't advocate for themselves. You know, this is so great because this is gonna, if, if more and more people start doing this, this is gonna require accountability on the doctors okay. that staff- I'm gonna get there. Yeah. Okay, so the language in that document, let's back up to the document. Why should they care? If they haven't up until this point, why should they care now? Because in this document, this document states very clearly that these are my these are the things that I consent to per my patient, my fundamental patient right, paraphrasing, and that it's based on my deeply held religious and spiritual beliefs and my, my right to inform consent. Now, why is that language in there? That's kind of unique, the deeply held religious spiritual beliefs. Because we know there's a precedent set from Jehovah's Witnesses, okay? They said before COVID, if I need a blood transfusion, I'm bleeding out, I've been in a car wreck, I need an emergency blood transfusion. I've already let you know, my deeply held religious and spiritual beliefs Um. I don't consent to that. I don't consent to that. It's it's our belief that we cannot receive blood products, so don't give them to me. It's a no, hard no. And you know what? They've always had to respect that. So borrowing from that scenario, which set precedent, this has been added into the documents that we have provided. It's brilliant because we all have our deeply held spiritual beliefs. Yeah, I don't care what it is. It doesn't really matter. You know, I'm a Christian, but somebody else may be Muslim. Do you deserve to live? Do you deserve to have your, does your life mean anything less than mine? No, it doesn't. A Muslim, a Hindu, I don't, whatever, um, deserves their, their autonomy of their body respected. If I say, I don't want 
baby aspirin, it's my deeply held religious and spiritual beliefs, then you, hospital, have no right to force it upon me. Well, and the, the Christian scientists don't take anything. It's they, they don't do any drugs. I mean, no, no pharmaceuticals. They need to be respected. Right. They need to, all the Christian scientists out there watching, please get get the, your consent and, and your non-consent issues in writing because okay. it's always better than just verbalizing it and then and having some sort of lost in translation or I didn't hear it. You mumbled okay. it. Couple questions here. Um, what if you have you didn't do this because you didn't know which hospital you were going to be at when you had that car accident? You have Oklahoma, you have a car accident. You end up in Oklahoma City Hospital, and they don't have this. I'm you glad know? that you're asking this, okay? Because these the, so many things are fluid. You could walk in for a scheduled knee replacement. Well, you had plenty of time to get the documents. Like a couple in Colorado who recently contacted me and said. Uh, we have the scheduled surgery and um, for whatever, I'm not going to say what it is. And uh, we just want to make sure we're safe. We heard about you. I said, great. The documents are available. Tailor them as you, as you will and walk in with them and then do everything else that's in the instructions at our patient rights, the, how you deliver them, right? Get them notarized, all of that. But what if you are smashed into the pavement because you were, it was a hit and run? and you're unconscious. There's no way you can scurry around and get a courier and, and run over to the postal service. And by the way, I can't even hold a pen because my hand's been cut off, right? Um, so what do you do? Well, in that case, you're unconscious. So your surrogate, if you haven't elected a power of attorney, would then be advocating for you. And what does that mean? That means that say you're a husband, and your wife is now the surrogate because it's the next of kin because you didn't have a power of attorney form filled out. You didn't do that kind of due diligence beforehand, which I, I recommend everybody do that. Pick a power of attorney that isn't just your best friend, isn't somebody that you love hanging out with. It's somebody who will fight, go to the mat for you. It could be somebody you don't really care to spend time with, but they will fight for your life. That is a good pay, uh, power of attorney, right? Okay. Say you didn't do a power of attorney. So you have your surrogate, your next of kin, say if it's it's a, a single person, not married, it it may roll over to your children, right? Or your mom and dad, it depends on the age. In every, every state, look into your laws. I'm not gonna tell you who that is. Don't assume that what I'm saying is exactly right in your situation, but it'll be next of kin usually. So then that person goes out to our patient rights because they need the document for I am the surrogate and do the same steps. And you're going to step into legally the shoes of the patient. Say, for instance, you would care less, but you, you wouldn't probably desire to be in a hospital and probably do a lot of, probably receive a lot of the things hospitals would think are customary, right? You in your case. Right. Um, let me say the reason that Laura knows that is because right before I uh, started the podcast, we talked just a little bit to get to know each other. And I let her know that I'm pretty ignorant about all this stuff because I avoid hospitals like the plague. I would, I, I had my babies at home. I don't do hospitals unless I'm dying and they're going to make me live. That's the yeah. only way you'll ever find me there. So she knew that about me. That's why I she goes, I don't want any interventions. Okay. I don't want anything. Just sew me up. Get me out. Right. Don't give there me anything. There you go. Yeah. So so, hey, say I'm your surrogate, hypothetically, um, or you pick me as power of attorney. 
I don't do as Laura Bartlett wants, like, hey, give me, you know, all the bells and whistles. Sure, I'm a pincushion, do whatever you want with me. That's not really the case, but let's pretend I like all of it. And I, I don't advocate for Laura Bartlett. I advocate for you. I advocate for what you legally, I step into your shoes and I say, I am you now. And I know, yeah, she's not gonna want, you know, fentanyl every single day, PRN every hour. She's probably not gonna want that. She's probably not gonna want um, half the thing. I'm gonna have to think like you. And I, if I'm your power attorney, I would already know this because we would have had a discussion. And it's, so it's not my wishes, it's yours. So what do you do? You're in the hospital. I'm now your, your, uh, your surrogate. I'm going to go out there. Even if I'm your power of attorney, I'm going to go to ourpatientrights.com and I would find the a care, um, the caregiver and consent form. And that's going to show what you would have wanted. You know, I'm going to look through there and I'm going to say, this is what, uh, not as a power of attorney, I'm sorry, you should have already had that issue locked down. But if say it's a surrogate, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to find what you're, what you would have consented to on this form, or if it, it's not listed, I'm going to write it in. And I'm going to clearly state, for instance, if you didn't, you're not a big fentanyl fan or whatever it is, um, I'm going to write that in. Say you don't, you, you, I know you have allergies to something or you had adverse effects. This is a good time to put it down in writing. Or just even that you could say uh, the the only things that that we do consent to are, mm -hmm. um, you know, surgery to fix what what whatever you need to fix, or, or not really. But I mean, because there's too many things to say. There's right. too many things out right. there. Exactly. So here's here's what's great about this document. You're bringing up a good point. Because how do we know everything that's out there? We don't. We don't know all the medications. We just happen to know during COVID some glaring truth in realities, right? For instance, remdesivir is not a very uh, robust solution to COVID. It's It's got a very low success rate. Well, it killed people. It killed a lot of people. Yeah. So that's another way of saying it's very low success rate, right? And, and also ventilators for COVID, 15% success rate, right? Success meaning you live, not die. And That's I, you know, those of us who knew that we were so blessed. My dad had COVID. It was during the crazy snowpocalypse in Texas when people were staying in their cars because their power was out, but it was 10 degrees. And that was my parents, my elderly parents. And oh. my, and my parent, they ended up with COVID and really sick. And uh, we had to go round and round my siblings and I about whether he should go to the hospital or not. And I knew. I was like, if he goes to the hospital, he's 89 years old. They'll put him on a ventilator and he'll be dead. And yeah, so what do you do in that situation? How would you advocate for, for this person? This is this is really good for your listeners. If my, well, I told him not to go to the hospital. First of all, he wouldn't have wanted to. I know my dad, right? So I knew yeah. he didn't want to go. If now, if he's, if he ended up in a death-like situation, yes, that's fine. Although I knew he'd rather die in his car than die at the hospital. Because they at that point in time, they weren't allowing family members to visit yeah. you. He would have been stuck in there all by himself for who knows how long. And so I, I knew that. How would I, if now, if he ended up in the hospital, um, it would have been really hard for me to get to advocate for him. Advocating, you don't necessarily have to be right there. I mean, it's best 
Same well, thing. I wouldn't have won the coin toss there. My older siblings always have taken, you know, they would have been like, no, 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 no. You don't get to advocate for dad. We do. So okay. I would have just been arguing with them on the phone about what the advocate, uh, what we should advocate for and not. They they didn't know what I knew. They probably would have said, oh, if the doctors say put him on uh, the ventilator, then that's what we do. They don't know that doctors don't yeah. know. Yeah. Yeah. Here's the thing. Let me just break it down. First of all, do we have like two minutes for me to read a statement written by a hospital insider? We former... have all the time you need, Laura. Okay. This is this is a thank you, a registered nurse, JD, who is a former hospital administrator for over a decade. Okay. I'm and this will clear the matter up for people. Okay. I just think it's best if I just read straight from the expert. Okay. And I just want you to know everything. This is, this is, these are this individual who will remain anonymous as words for safety and security reasons. Um, everything in this conversation of the insider is this individual's opinion and should not be construed as legal advice. We've got to get this out of the way, but merely this individual's general thoughts, this insider hospital insiders thoughts and how to correct a hospital culture that has been trampled upon, uh, who's trampled upon patient rights during COVID and even since COVID. In the discussion around what occurred during COVID, a large part of the narrative was never addressed. You see, while we were focused on elected officials, the WHO, you know, WHO, Dr. Fauci, the CDC, Dr. Burks, we forgot the most important relationship that enabled the failed protocols to occur in the very first place the relationship that was the most sacred and intimate, the physician-patient relationship, and the patient's right to informed consent from the physician. Let's discuss informed consent. Okay, this is really good. Think of informed consent as a kind of contract where a physician can do things to the patient in exchange for the patient's agreement. This agreement is forged through a discussion of risk, benefits, and alternatives to the physician's proposed treatment plan. As a practical perspective, consider a patient who grants informed consent for a surgeon to operate on her foot. If the patient agrees to the foot surgery, the surgeon better not perform brain surgery on the patient. Makes sense, right? Complicating this informed consent discussion is that when a patient is admitted to the hospital, the, patient, the hospital will have a patient sign a general consent for the physicians to treat the patient, you know? For the most part, unless the patient raises an objection or concern, this is where you have to be proactive. The physician will make the assumption that the physician agrees to the treatment plan, whatever that is, right? Also, what most patients don't consider is that they have the right to both consent and withdraw that consent to, to anything. And that they have, um, they can voice their I consent or I do not consent in writing. Placing a I do not consent in writing is practical because hospitals are short staffed and nurses and physicians are stretched thin. A verbal I do not consent might not make it into the patient rec electronic medical record. What if the nurse forgets to write the nurse's note or the physician does not place the, the patient's wishes in the progress note? Hmm? Well, remember that electronic medical records is considered a legal record of the complete episode of the patient's care. And if it's not recorded in the medical record, it might be assumed that the patient's verbal I do not consent never actually happened. 
The, care, the caregiver and consent document that I mentioned at ourpatientrights.com is proposed language that allows the patient to communicate with caregivers any carefully planned and intentional wishes in writing. In addition, there's language, if the patient chooses to use it, that frames consent, consent in terms of a patient's deeply held religious beliefs. We just mentioned that. For example, if some patients, uh, for example, for some patients receiving the COVID vaccine violates their religious and spiritual beliefs. Why is this important? Because religious belief that underlies consent is well known in bioethics. It's what I just mentioned. There's there's a lot more, but this is why it's in the language of the consent form, which I've never seen in any other document prior to this document. Um, now, why would a doctor maybe disregard it? Or, or be motivated to actually give it some regard. Because in the language of this form has a consequence to the doctor. Remember, the doctor was the only one who could have ordered a drug or ordered a treatment. And a lot of those drugs and treatments, unfortunately, ended poorly in the last two years for a lot of people. A lot of people died. Now. What would give an incentive to a doctor to just do what he should do for the AMA and respect your patient right to inform consent? Knowing that he might have not a lot of anyway, If he's yeah. not doing it anyway. Right. Well, yeah. in writing, you stated the consequence. I promise you, doctor, if you, if you violate my patient right to inform consent, and this is the only way this will happen, if you violate my patient right to inform consent, meaning you took off my wrist, this is an extreme example, you took off my wrist, my hand is gone now, when I wake up from surgery, I went in for a toothache and now my hand's gone, okay? That's an extreme. Or I said no ventilator during COVID and I'm on a ventilator. If I survive it, this, this is the consequence. I will report you as a complaint to the state medical board. You think that'll get his attention? Yeah, it you will. Also take him to court. Yes. Sue yeah. him. Not the Suing is not the answer because we've got the PREP Act right now. We've got, we've got a lot of things, legal protections. Um, when COVID just started, there were legal protections way back in 2020 on all the hospitals. That's why you don't see big class action billboards on the side of the highway that says, have you or somebody else um, been injured or died during during COVID inside a hospital, we don't see these billboards. Why? If there were if there were lucrative cases, meaning lawyers saw that you could sue for damages because it would be taken seriously, it would go through the, the normal judicial system, we would see end-to-end -end billboards because of what's gone on. Yeah, but I can't can notice. You can't right now. Hospital tell me about that. What what was that? I didn't realize. Oh, there's protections on hospitals, legal protection for hospitals during this whole COVID period. That's why you don't see those billboards, in my opinion, that you would see, hey, I've been injured. Yeah, I know somebody at work's been injured. Somebody else has died. It seems like people are dropping like flies inside hospitals during COVID. Why isn't anything being done? It was a gross um, trampling of patient rights. There was no consent to a lot of these situations that I'm hearing about. So why... Why can't they? Because there were protections, legal protections during COVID, during a emergency situation 
the PREP Act, the CARES Act that prevent that. So getting a lawyer, lawyering up while somebody's in a hospital never amounts to this, anything, in my opinion, other than loss of time. This PREP Act was something that was passed by by Congress while we were but, sleeping? Um, this is this is legal protection. Uh, this is legal protection for the hospital. Right. So getting a lawyer involved, as we all, have all been familiar with, the wheels of justice turn very slowly. What is that going to do? All you've got is time in a hospital. It is a race against the clock to get out for any reason, really. You're safer outside a hospital. That's why they want to turn beds over before COVID quickly. It's like, oh, you're you're through if you're your appendectomy. I remember they were like ready to discharge me the next day. Like, let's get you up and out of here because they know, they know that there's there's all kinds of uh, opportunistic uh, germs and viruses in the hospital. It's it's not a great place to be. They want you home before COVID, right? But now during this whole uh, time period, it's it's been keep you in as long as you can, so much so that, you know, to move you closer and closer and closer, in my opinion, to a ventilator. And this is, I'm not the only one with this opinion, okay? As I'm helping people, there's there has been a concerted effort to keep you in longer, in my opinion, than to get you out quickly. So much so that I, when um, I was helping advocate for this particular person without giving away identity, um, this scenario, the doctor literally told the patient, and I was privy to this, um, you can't go home. I asked, this person has been in here for a couple of weeks. Surely we can uh, re-COVID test. The family had requested that. So I advocated strongly to get them re-COVID tested because they were continuing to do COVID protocol. They didn't have this paperwork then. I just came in on the late end of this. The doctor said, well, no, we don't do that. I said, well, well, if you don't do it, family, do you want to bring a, a COVID test up to the hospital and re-COVID test them? Oh, well, it wouldn't matter anyway. The, the doctor jumped in and said, it wouldn't matter what the result of that test was. It's not going to change anything in the way of treatment. I said, well, it might mean something to the patient. The patient may say, hey, I'm not COVID positive anymore. I might want to get out of here. Splitsville, we're out of here. The gig is up. The doctor said, well, you couldn't do that. You can't go. I said, what? This is why I have named my hotline, the hostage hotline, hospital hostage hotline for a reason. Because patients have been told in the last couple of years, you can't leave until we say you can leave. And that is a lie. It's a straight up lie. It's called going, uh, uh, leaving AMA. What does that stand for? Against medical advice. You can leave whenever you want. I did it. I had, I had surgery on a cat bite on my finger and they were, and I was supposed to leave that day. It was, this was 25 years ago in North Carolina. Mm -hmm. I was laying in there and they just kept not coming and not coming and not coming. And I'm like, I'm out. And I got up and I left. Yeah. So, so that's another thing people need to understand. So just to recap, getting into your, get your paperwork, get things in writing. There's no mistaking what your wishes are. Get it notarized send it by a courier. If you're in a hospital bed, get somebody else to send send it by courier. You're going to get help from your surrogate or your your next to your friend. Somebody's going to help you. Okay? Cuz they're going to alert somebody in the hospital they should that hey, your your loved one's been hit by a car or whatever. 
we're, we're, they're in emergency surgery, whatever the situation may be. And if that person can't advocate for themselves, they should be telling some family member the scenario. At that point, that's when you kick in, you start advocating, you get the paperwork, you get your, your medical power of attorney. If that was done ahead of time, the paperwork, you say, hey, I'm it. Okay. They pick me. You get yeah. involved. You get in the electronic medical record. You start, you start an account, you get in there, you see what they're doing to your loved one. And if you don't want, if you never were advised, maybe it's an emergency situation, they didn't have time and that's appropriate. You know, we scooped you up off the highway. We're, this is in a, a very real emergency situation, but I'm talking about grandpa walked in with a UTI, right? And now he's heading towards a ventilator. What happened? Now this is, hap this is not unusual. I've, I've been in uh, advocacy cases with a lot of people in that situation. It's like, hey, whoa, 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 what happened? Get in the medical record, look and see what's going on to, to your dad or your grandfather, your grandmother, right? So that's when, when an advocate or a power of attorney gets involved. Now, going back to those papers that I mentioned, the consent documents, why should that matter to a doctor? Because right now a doctor, if he's a moral, good moral doctor, and he's been told by the hospital administration, we have a protocol, and this is what you're going to do. You're going to do this by administration. They never went to medical school. They don't have a medical license, but they're telling you this is the way we're doing it. Could it be because it's being incentivized, financially incentivized? I don't know. I'm just hypothetically saying, asking the question, could it be because they're financially, it's financially lucrative? Well, we, we know now that certain protocols had a big price tag, right? And if you could get a COVID diagnosis and move them to a ventilator and it's coded COVID death, there's some money at stake here. They really, do you want to see $400,000 walk out of your doors? You said 400000 Upwards to $400,000 in some cases, some states, some, right? So that's a lot of money. Don't, don't quote me on a certain dollar. Don't quote me on a certain dollar amount, but it's, it can be depending on the, the length of stay in a hospital weeks turn into a month, turn into eventually being on a ventilator, right? There was a lot of money at stake. Okay. And so what my, my point is, if I can just continue this train of thought before I forget, is that why would a doctor decide to do something that essentially the paycheck is coming from, you can't work there without privileges and, you know, their, their guidelines. If you've been told you've got to do this COVID protocol, why would they look at this piece of paper versus maybe having more weight with the people that pay, you know, they get their payment from? Why? Because there's a chance that this person's going to do what they said they would do. The consequences, they will report you to the state medical board. And we know that state medical boards, of course, could be corrupted. They could turn a blind eye and give them a pat on the wrist. They could, but that, that, uh, that complaint, just the threat of the complaint, it costs time and money away from making money to answer that complaint. The doctor is not going to like it. And it could it could result in their license being suspended, depending on how they view this. And I would say it's a pretty much a smoking gun that we said, do not give me X, Y, Z. And you gave me X, Y, Z. It's in writing. It's been notarized. It's been served 
to the hospital legally in two ways, smoking gun, uh, they should do something. If they don't do something in that case, that's a really corrupt medical board, in my opinion. So why would they not like that? Because it takes time and money away and it has the, the uh, possibility of no license, no license, no worky as a doctor anymore. So it's that so threat. You, yeah, it's that threat. That so it's a promise. It's a promise. It's not a threat. It's a promise. Because in that document, it says, I will report you if this, ha only if this happens, only if you violate my, my consent, my patient right to informed consent. If I did not consent and you did it to me, you took off my right arm, extreme case. I said, do not take my arm off. You're supposed to operate on my foot, right? Um, you just wanted to. I don't know if you don't like, you think you like one arm people. I don't know what the reasons are, but if you give me a drug, I said, do not give me a drug. Do not give me a ventilator. I said, do not give me a ventilator during COVID. Of course, there's appropriate uses for ventilator. Whatever was on your particular form, if they did it, it's violating your informed consent wishes. Okay. The The problem I see is that the, the, the COVID vaccine, which we know is, is mRNA technology. It's, it's not a vaccine. It doesn't work the way that vaccines mm -hmm. work. Um, there are so many people that are so brainwashed that you have to have that. And there's lots of doctors, there's lots of admin, there's, there's, there's just a, a large portion of, of a story about that. And so, um, even if you had specifically do not give me any COVID mRNA injections. I do not. I I don't. I think they still will. I think you can complain to the board, and the board's going to go. Everyone's supposed to have one of those. They're really trying to inject everyone with this technology, and mm -hmm. so I I just your your options are you are completely right. If they're if they've done things wrong, egregious. Uh, violations of your they don't your think that's rights. wrong they don't think giving you the covid vaccine is wrong even if it's, it's against your I, I completely understand but let me let me tell you why they have to if you have this document there are probably a majority of people in hospitals that work for hospitals and outside the hospital the majority would be hey if you need a blood transfusion or you'll die wouldn't they just go ahead and give you a blood transfusion because you'll right no, they have to hard stop. No. And I know my, my hospital insider, the idea of this language came from that insider. Sorry about that. Um, because this individual actually um, has witnessed that where somebody came in with a terrible situation, catastrophic injury, they needed a blood transfusion, but they knew the, the hospital knew hard stop. No. And the patient died. The patient died. It's very tragic, very sad, but you know what? They respected that patient's right and they did it then, they'll do it now. So let me give you a scenario of the shot, okay? This is more likely what's gonna happen since uh, everybody is of the belief COVID's over, uh, the jig is up on the outside of hospitals, but it's still up in, it's still not up in hospitals. They still will COVID test you and they will retest you and retest you in a lot of scenarios. I'm not gonna say there's not a good hospital out there, but everybody that has reached out to me has been COVID tested as soon as they come in with a broken finger, okay? Things like that for the safety of the staff, right? And so what will happen is um, uh, that's a, a real possibility. So you need to have that, your wishes in writing because they will fast track you towards 
the COVID thing, but say it's not COVID. You say you don't want to be COVID tested? You can. You can say, I don't want to be COVID tested in the, the, it's my deeply held religious and spiritual belief. Of course you can. Now here's the, the real possibility of the vaccine because I've seen it over and over again. I advocated for somebody who was 93 years old, was in the hospital for a different diagnosis, not COVID. So let's take COVID off the table. Send that no less than five times she was chased around with a vaccine. And she said, no, 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 no. She was able to advocate for herself. She was very sharp mentally. And she, she was only really concerned when she was unconsciously asleep, right? So on the last day before she was going to be discharged, she, um, she decided, you know what? It happened again. I don't trust that someone's going to put something in my arm when I'm asleep. She didn't have the paperwork. She didn't have the documents, but this is what she did. This is when I step in. She's letting me be aware that I'm really worried now. I said, well, you, you uh, have you gotten the all clear, you know, physically? Well, yeah, I'm going to be discharged in the morning. I said, you can leave whenever you want. So you know what she did? Nine hours before, roughly about nine hours before she would have been discharged, medically discharged in the morning. She decided, okay, I'm going to need this, this IV taken on my arm. So I'm going to call the, push the, the call button on next to my bed. She pushed the call button for the nurse to come in. For 20 minutes, the nurses didn't come in. Okay. That's a problem. Well, that's, like, that's about oh. right. That's about right. That's yeah. So then what does she do? So then, the, yeah. So then she starts disconnecting intentionally all the leads that would set off alarms for the, the medical equipment. And it should alert the nurses outside the room. There's a problem. Come in here quick. Well, she could have fallen out of her bed. She could have broken her hip. She A lot of problems could have happened that a nurse would need immediate eyes on that situation. 20, 30 minutes, nobody comes. So you know what she does? She calls her family. She um, unplugs the, the IV. She still has like the port in her, but she disconnects from the bag and she calls her family. Family comes and picks her up, puts her in a wheelchair. She wheels by a bunch of snickering, laughing, whispering um, hospital staff, gets home, she's out, she's clear. Yay, she survived. And I'm on the phone with the daughter, the 70 some year old daughter of the patient. And she says, Laura, oh my gosh, there's somebody at the door. Oh my gosh, it's the police. The police had been called on this woman for leaving the hospital Against medical advice, they called the police on her. I said, well, have you broken any laws? You don't need to answer. It's, it's like midnight. I don't see a need to get out of bed, go answer the door. It's, it's inappropriate. You didn't call them. I, I, did someone kick in your back door while we were on the phone? Did, is there an intruder? In your someone holding a gun to your head? Why are the police there? You don't have to. There's no obligation to answer the door. So they left. A couple of minutes later, she hears from the, the hospital. They call and go, oh, hey, hey, we see that you left. Um, we just wanna, you know, make sure you're okay with, you know, just come on in as a convenience. We'll remove that, that IV from your arm. Now they're interested, right? Why didn't they do it, you know, a couple of hours earlier when she was trying to get your attention so that you could do your job and remove that. Uh, so anyway, 
it was not a good situation for her. But the point is, is that they chased her around during the entire stay while she was in there with the vaccine. So you need to have that in writing before you go in there because you may have a scheduled surgery or you may be unconscious because of a car wreck and you need to put it in writing legally. I don't want it. Yes. And this is such good information. And people don't realize how much we need an advocate when we're in the hospital for any reason at all. Um, I used to coach people on having, trying to have a natural childbirth in the hospital, because that's, I, I love the whole natural childbirth thing that we have been brainwashed to think we don't want to do. Right. You try to passage and it's just the best day of your life. I highly recommend it. Do it at home if you can, because they will strong arm you into all the things they'll scare you fear is such a powerful oh motive. yes and they'll scare you into just let us put that iv in you just in case we need well once you get that iv in you they will put that's convenient isn't it yeah, they, they, they will induce the baby because they'll say it's not moving fast enough or whatever they'll scare you and you're already a little bit scared you're you're about to give birth and hollywood has made it look like terrifying so um if you end up in the hospital because you transport from home, or if you're just choosing to do it there, you need an advocate who knows what you want, a birth plan, that kind of thing. So this is familiar to me to have, and people don't realize how much they need an advocate. Things have gotten mm-hmm. really bad over the last couple of years. Like I said, I have elderly parents and uh, my they have so much trouble just getting in to see a doctor. They are being dropped through the cracks so badly because of their age. And yeah. They don't, they, my mom doesn't like to be a squeaky wheel and I get on her. I'm like, you've got to advocate for dad. He needs, yes. you've had a broken ankle for months. They haven't done anything. Right. He keeps getting passed around and it's just, it's so bad. And, um, I, you know, there's for people who aren't aware and you probably are the, there's a scenario for uh, the Marburg virus to come out in 2025. They're supposed to be, it's on the books, guys. It's a, it's oh yeah, a, scheduled. Scheduled. It's, so this information is so important because this is going to happen again. They're going to yes. be telling us to wear masks. They're going to be telling us to get tested all the time. They're going to tell us to lock down and we have got to stand up for our rights. Yes. Human rights. We have the right. We're free. Yeah. No, if people are, yeah, you think you have to do what you're told and you don't have to do what you're told. No, all you can the- do is harm someone. That's all you can't do right. or their stuff. So, um, how, so y- you have become an advocate because people don't know this stuff. They're calling you. Right. But how, so how do people find out about you? Uh, they're, they're lucky to watch podcasts like this, um, like yours. So thank you. You're going to, likely save somebody's life just for having information. Um, And you're right. A lot of, let me go back to the squeaky wheel thing. And I tell people the squeaky wheel gets the grease. You're going to have to, they told me that, you know, the, that the, uh, the patient electronic medical records down right now, or we don't really know what the problem is. Get in there and start making some noise. Okay. Yeah. Cause like I said, one, one scenario was that um, they didn't get into their electronic medical. We're just so busy. I don't want to bother anybody. And then they found out that their their loved one was given a hardcore drug every hour. And this person, let me tell you why in this particular case, it's kind of bizarre. They had told them, look, this loved one, this husband had double knee replacement surgery and didn't even take a Tylenol, but they were given a strong painkiller every hour. PRN just means 
when the doctor thinks it's needed, you know, when the hospital decides. And of course I asked, well, how did you know he was in pain? Because this person was on a ventilator. Did they tell you? Did they remove everything and go, it really hurts? No, they didn't. Do they know sign language? Did they do that? Were they conscious and did that? No. Did they point at letters, you know, on a, one of those little message boards? What would what, they do? Smoke signals? What? Skywriting? Well, we did a, it was, you know, it was a CPOT. CPOT. They just, they, they throw stuff like that. They mumble stuff like that, which is a pain scale. I said, okay, well, um, how did you determine the pain scale? They're literally unconscious. Do you see the kind of things? If, if you weren't aware of, of these medical terms, this is why an advocate's important because you wouldn't even know there was a pain scale that they should follow. And as an advocate, you need to realize, because at some point in your life, you're probably going to advocate for somebody in the hospital. Mm -hmm. And you need to realize, do not be intimidated by doctors. Now, doctors that went into the profession because they want to heal people and save lives. You know, there right. are so many people. I, I am not dissing doctors. Not However, there is, I know, and, and there is a, um, a generalization about doctors that that over time, as they get, they, they got into medical school, they got through medical school, they got hired by this, you know, team of doctors to do whatever they do. They do start to think very highly of themselves. A lot of them, not all of them. There are humble doctors out there. They're few. And, and doctors will make you feel like you don't know. Huh? And, and you don't, we're not doctors. We don't know what they know, but we have absolute human rights and and it's and it, you know it's um you have you're gonna have to stand up hard and loud and tall and not back down when you know and so that's what you are doing so i'm, I'm curious about what you're doing it is um what you're doing is free you're how do you offer this this for free for people oh grace of god and, <laughs> and favors from other people are you people, know? And, people and make donations to your they could, I haven't received any. I've been doing this for two years, but um, more than that, let me tell you what we could really use. We could use, I'm trying to build a network of uh, people stepping forward and saying, hey, I can help. And you know how they can help? They can be get their notary because when I um, present the strategy, which is to get a form notarized, they're already in the hospital in some cases and they're, they're in an emotional crisis, right? It's very emotional and it's, um, it's distracting. You, the last thing you you can, you're thinking of is, uh, where do I get a notary, right? I know the hospital has notaries. They should make one available, but they're not usually really timely. Let's put it that way. If you want something notarized in a timely way, I need people who will step forward and say, you know what, I'm just going to go and get my, my notary certification so that I can meet somebody at the hospital. I'll do it for them. I'll run up to the hospital. I'll notarize something, right? I also need um, people, if they know courier services or contact a courier service that would like to um, donate at least part of the, the fees uh, for currying something in a life-threatening situation like this, I think this would be a good use of um, your skill set um, and just donate it. Make Do something charitable and say, hey, I'll do that. I'll make my services available. I can have my courier run up or at least at a discounted rate because we don't want the reason I make everything free is because I don't want there to be a barrier to getting what you need 
uh, to stay safe. And if those two things are hiccups, or even the errand of running to a, a post office with the form, say you're at the hospital, and if somebody could step in and just be, hey, I'm in that area, I can run up to the hospital, I'll grab those notarized forms, say the notary met them at the hospital, I'll run it to the post office, I'll get it certified mail, return receipt requested. You know, it's these pieces of the puzzle that need to come together really quickly. And if people will just step up and help somebody, you know, I'm doing all that I can. But if somebody can say, I can be that guy, I can okay. be that guy. How do people contact you? Um, just contact me through the um, hospital hostage help. Um, or they can just reach me through the hotline, 888. It's got a texting feature on there, 888-219-3637. And um, I'm trying to amass a grassroots movement so we don't ever repeat what we just went through. If people knew this back in 2020, what I'm telling you, do you think there might have been a different outcome? Might over a million people not died if they knew how to say no effectively? Right. Okay. So all of this will be in the show notes. If you're listening, driving along, listening to this, you can go and find all of this information that Laura has been talking about. I'll put it in the show notes. Um, Laura, what's the most egregious thing you've become aware of over the last two years? Oh my gosh. I, um, it, there's nothing more egregious than somebody saying no. And you disregard that. No, think of it outside the hospital scenario. Um, if you didn't consent, let's take it in a different lane. If you didn't consent to sex, for instance, right? And that's technically called rape. Do we just turn a blind eye to that? Do we just go, well, I know you said no, but I'm still going to try to convince you and then I'm going to do it anyway. That's a crime. So I want to give one, my last word on this is I want to give all the doctors listening um, some hope. Because I'm, I love good doctors and I want to give doc, good doctors out there that want to do the moral right thing by their patients, which is to not violate their informed consent. I, I'm giving you an out. You should be really excited about these uh, documents that I have because finally they have something to push back against the administration and say, I can't do it. Do you see this? They signed it. They notarized it. It's a legal document. And now they have something to push back against administration of hospitals and say, I'm not doing it. I'm not going to violate this patient's, uh, patient's informed consent, their patient rights. Do you see the consequence? I could be reported to the state medical board. I'm not doing it. And if doctors were in mass to get these, these forms, might that change something, the culture in hospitals? I think so. So any doctor listening to this could go make it part of their routine when a, a new patient comes in to, you know what, I want to know what you consent to and what you don't, because that helps all of us. Wouldn't that be great? And they can, they're, they're welcome to the forums at ourpatientrights.com. Have at it, download it. If you're a, a general practitioner out there, you don't work in the hospital system, but you want to want to make sure that your patients, you want to keep them safe in hospitals if they ever need a hospital. Why don't you make that available to them? Why don't you share that in your, your email blast to your patients? You know, you, you mentioned the concept of rape. I've heard of medical rape and it's when they, they, you know, people were, they were, I, I saw a video in our, uh, military when they were requiring the military to get the COVID jobs. And there is the saddest video. It just breaks your heart to watch um, a female enlisted um, army 
uh, I don't know wh who she was in the army, but they were walking them through, giving them this, giving them the, both shoulders, jab, jab. And I had a friend who was in the army and he doesn't even know all the things he was jabbed with. He was given so many and he did commit suicide. Um, they, she, she was crying and saying, no, I don't want this. I don't know. She fell to the ground. The two ladies jabbed her anyway. And it was just, it's, it's medical rape. And, and if you say no, that means no, I've taught yeah, no people. means no. It means no on a date. No means no. Um, in a hospital, no always means no. It doesn't mean maybe doesn't mean, well, I know best. You just don't know what's best for you, <laughs> you know? So I'm just wanting everybody to feel empowered. I want the doctors to feel empowered that they don't have to keep going along with this uh, charade, this terrible stuff going in, on in hospitals to just appease the hospital administration. They're not doctors. The people telling you what you have to do as a doctor, when you went to medical school, you know you know better than they do. But if you're going along with it just to go along to get along, now you have something to push back because it's in writing and it's yeah. notarized and it's been served to you legally. And you can go yeah. back to the hospital and say, I'm not doing it. That's they fantastic. gave me this. That is fantastic because I know that there's doctors whose hands were tied. They, they would lose their job at the hospital if they didn't go along with the protocols. And so um, this, Laura, I'm so grateful uh, that, that you came across my path and that I'm able to help you get your, uh, your, what you're doing for people. Are you all on your own or do you have some other volunteers that are answering the calls? Um, I generally answer all the calls myself and then get other people involved for a uh, consultation with me, but pretty much I do a lot of myself. Okay, because you could you could train people across this country, across other countries where people have rights. We've already we already have Canadians reaching out to us. Yeah, I just talked to one yesterday. Okay. Uh, so yeah, this is this is not isolated to the United States. So um, you want this to take off fire, right? Just take off like yeah, a giant. I just wall. want the whole world to not ever experience this ever again. And it really does come down to that doctor who felt like they had to, you didn't have to, you could have said, I'm not doing that. And yeah, I'll lose my job, but I can't go along with something that uh, is going to violate somebody else's consent. I can't do it. Yeah. And, well, that's, that's Zach Bush. You know who Zach, Dr. Zach Bush is? I don't. Um, you know, oh, he's wonderful. I will, when, when this is all over, everyone needs to know who he is. He was an oncologist who he is, who at the beginning of COVID recognized that he couldn't be violating people the way he was being required to. And he went ahead and quit and became, he's become an advocate for human rights for just, he's, he's a brilliant thinker. I'd love to know him. Yeah. You need to know him. He would love to know you. And if I'm not mistaken, he might have a podcast and would welcome you on. He uh, is one of these people who has is such a big brain. <laughs> he mm -hmm. makes you realize that you are light because if I'll, I'll paraphrase what he, I've heard him say, and he says hundreds of things like this, where you hang mm -hmm. on his words, the light that comes to the planet and turns into plants and then uh -huh. animals, because all the animals that eat the plants, it's photons. The photons come and nourish the plant, become part of the plant. We 
eat the plants, we eat the animals, and we are then truly made of light and of stardust. And he just makes you feel so grateful to be a human being. And uh, he would, he- That's like he values life. I like him already. Yeah. And he says, this is an, an extraordinary time to be alive because either A, we're witnessing the end of humanity, hey. or B, we're witnessing the the new- A the better. Dawning a of better. A new yes. Right. And I, I tend to, I believe that. I think we're, we're stepping out of the old and into something right. new. Either better. way, what a cool time to be here, you know? Yeah. So, um, you know, I-, I it has been so lovely to have you on, Laura. And uh, you you said that was the last thing you wanted to say. If there's anything else you'd like to leave us with, we'll wrap it up. I just want people to get their, their you know, to actually step into the power they always had. You know, I'd like to be obsolete. Eventually, just, I just, you don't need me. You don't need a hotline. You just, you just know what you know now. And the problem is they didn't know what they didn't know. And, um, once everybody kind of catches on that, oh, we wake up to the fact that you actually do have a say in decisions about yourself, then you're not going to need a hotline. You're not going to need Laura Bartlett or hospital hostage help. It'll all be past tense, hopefully very, very soon. Yep. Take your power back, take responsibility. And help each other. Yeah, this is fantastic. Well, I can't wait to get this one out there. And uh, I thank you so much. Thank you, Freedom Junkies, for joining us and for sharing this information. Please share the podcast wherever you listen to the podcast, like the podcast and subscribe. Uh, I'm always, I am available on Telegram. If you go to Freedom at Freedom Junkie Radio uh, on Telegram, I check it regularly. I don't do other. Uh, do you follow Dr. Mercola? I do. I love Dr. Mercola. I am hoping that no hiccups. Uh, I am slated. I am scheduled to talk with him. Oh, he's got such a huge following and will love you. That's just fantastic. So I'm gosh, I hope, I hope there's no scheduling issues, but I've, I'm scheduled for uh, later this month. So, fantastic. so your, I will post that. would probably like to follow that too. Yes. But, Dr. Mercola is wonderful. Um, he's always been an advocate for for natural healing, for figuring out what the problem is, not not um, not treating the symptoms, but figuring out what's the problem. Yeah, yeah. Let's, just not, let's not a service disease or service uh, illness. Let's let's just not be ill. <laughs> right. Let's be healthy. <laughs> Figure right. that one out. Well, um, if if people ever have a suggestion for me of someone that that should should help should come on Freedom Junkie Radio and become a voice for more freedom in our lives, this is for your rights. That's another thing we talk a lot about on Freedom Junkie Radio: are our natural rights, our human rights, our constitutional rights, all the uh, our medical rights. It's a big one. Um, and they all fall under the category of our God-given natural rights. They've always yeah. been, and they're infinite. So if you have someone that you'd like for me to talk to and have on the show, just let me know. I'm open to suggestions. And I'm just grateful that this network of people that love people, and I can tell you're one of those people because you're doing this from, from you recognized 
a, a huge need and you filled it yourself and that taking action is the best thing we can do. So thank you, Laura, for everything you've you. done and everything you're going to continue to do. And uh, just let me know if you ever want to jump back on here and tell us anything else. You're always welcome back. Thank you. Oh my gosh. Uh, what a relief. Just somebody else is going to know now. That just takes a weight off me. Thank you. Okay. Well, you're very, very welcome. Thank you, Freedom Junkies, for tuning in and for sharing and subscribing and liking. And uh, we'll catch you next time. Ciao. I live better than a king ever did. I live better than a king.